This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 183 of the podcast, and there's a very good chance that you are listening to this podcast through some sort of headphone or car speaker, but utilizing your smartphone. And today we're going to talk about smartphones, technology in general, and fly fishing. And we're going to talk about how they are helpful and how they can hurt the experience. You might think, I don't use my phone to fish. There's not many patterns that look like a small black rectangle. Well, there's a lot of uses for a smartphone. There's a lot of uses for technology when it comes to preparing to fish and actually spending your time on the water. So I'm going to go back and forth and talk about some of the pros and cons. And again, hopefully the idea isn't to bring forth some new revelation to you. I don't think I'm going to be breaking any new ground in this podcast, but just maybe bringing some awareness and giving you food for thought about how you use your phone both on the water and before you get on the water. And some of you might say, I don't use my phone on the water. Well, just hang in there and you might uh, start to understand what I'm talking about. And maybe there are times where you should be using your phone when you are on the water. So that's actually where I want to start. I think one of the best things about having a smartphone, having some sort of device, it could be a smartwatch, uh, it could be even an old-timey GPS, is that a phone is an incredibly valuable tool for orienteering. Now, a phone or a a global positioning system uh, isn't a substitute for knowing your way around the woods but it is a great alternative or backup or emergency option. Or, to be honest, there's times where I had walked up a tributary and I want to figure out, is it faster for me to backtrack, go downstream, or go over the next ridge? So this actually happened to me relatively recently. I was up in the mountains, I was fishing for brook trout, and I was at a pond. 
And this pond had a very small drainage uh, down to the main river. And I know, well, I knew then as well, that there was another river immediately to the south. Um, and so instead of going east, I figured I can go over this ridge and get to this other river. And so I acted before I thought, and I just walked up to the ridge. And I'm on top of this ridge, and I see another ridge. And if you're in the woods, you know, you can kind of get an idea that, you know, there's probably not water at the bottom of this valley. Um, you, you can tell, even if you can't see or not see water, you just look at the topography, and you're like, that's eh, probably not uh, what, what I thought I was doing. So I'm at the top of this ridge. I don't have great service. I don't even have enough service to make a call, but the data from maps is, is on my phone, and I'm able to pull it up and realize, okay, it is only one more ridge over to get to that next river. So I was able to just walk down the ridge and then up another one and then down to the river that I wanted to fish. And I was able to do that because I had my phone in my pocket. And I've used it for countless other things like that over the years. It's amazing how far technology has come, where you have maps, where you can see the topography, where you can see the uh, photo imagery. And again, a lot of this is going to be contingent upon the kind of service you have. Uh, it's remarkable to me how close to civilization you can be still in 2022 on the East Coast and still not have cell service once you get into the woods, particularly once you get into valleys. But I, I, that's kind of like a, a blessing and a curse. Obviously, if somebody gets hurt, if somebody gets lost, uh, it would be great to be able to have that cell service. I also like not having the option of getting a phone call or getting work emails when I'm up in the mountains, when I'm in a valley, when I'm fishing. But to have that on there and to have a couple of different options for maps. So I'm no tech wizard. Uh, I'm, I'm the first to, to call myself out on that. But on my phone, I'm looking at it right now. I have Apple Maps, which I don't use very much. I have Google Maps. And then I have a couple different apps. I have the... Um, the Explorer USFS, the National Forest app, which I have downloaded the White Mountain National Forest and a couple other uh, local forests on there. I have a National Park Service app, which has a lot of, of maps that are preloaded on there. So even if the service is spotty and I'm unable to get a perfect Google Maps representation of where I am and where I'm going, I have a few other options that I can I can pull up. Are there more complicated maps? Absolutely, there are, and they cost money. But those, as well as All Trails, is another one that I have on there. They give me pretty much everything I need anywhere I am, where if I have one bar or no bars, I can at least get a general idea of where I am located. It's a remarkable, and again, this is without going into the technology because I'm completely uh, uh, incapable of explaining this to you, how, how you can still have a good global positioning idea, uh, even without good cell service. And so having your phone and, ha and being able to, to utilize it, you know, if you have a blurry map because you don't have service, so all your phone has is some sort of remnant concept of the, the local terrain from the last time that you had cell service, uh, being able to at least use that to get yourself out of a very dangerous situation or to kind of cut corners and get from one place to another, like I mentioned earlier, is helpful. Uh, I, I use it in in uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, less important ways as well. Um, I do a lot of trail running up in the mountains to get to my trout spots. And as I fish and fish and fish, and I have a certain time when I'm going to be out of the woods, a time when I, I've said I'm going to be back in cell phone 
a distance, um, I'm able to use that to mark my distance and say, okay, right now I'm an hour out. So if you know I, I leave now, I'll be back to cell service or back to my car in an hour. And I'm able to kind of plot that uh, using my phone, especially if I'm fishing somewhere new or fishing somewhere different. So that is a good use of having your phone on you, good having technology on you when you're on the water. Now, of course, the flip side of that is if you are in service, if you have full cell service and that phone is in the front of your waders, it's in your sling pack and it starts to chirp, chirps because you're getting text messages, it chirps because you're getting emails, you're getting phone calls. Now, there's pros and cons to this. There's times where I have, as I've talked about before, that margin time uh, where I try to sneak half an hour or an hour of fishing in between two appointments where I don't really feel like I could get a good amount of work done in between two things. So I've chosen to fish. I'm out between two appointments. And so I'll either walk on the river, or actually go fishing. And in those moments, if I get a phone call and it's in the middle of the workday, I'm going to take the phone call. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, so that's helpful that I am, I'm not completely making myself unavailable for my primary responsibilities for my family, from work, things like that. I mean, that happens few and far between, but it's, it's, I like to know that, you know, if I'm going to stop, I'm going to hang out by a river for half an hour, uh, instead of driving 15 minutes to the office, turning around, driving 15 minutes to my next appointment, uh, just hang out where I am for half an hour and be on the river, either make a couple casts, or just, you know, watch bugs and fish and whatnot, that if I get a call, I can take a call. If I get an email, I can take an email. And I'm not the kind of person that says, if, if I'm standing in the water, absolutely no phone, because I like to integrate my fly fishing and my outdoor time into my life. And so there's sometimes where one is going to bleed into the other, um, obviously prioritizing what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing it. But if you are a person who can't put their phone down, and I've, I have that tendency, uh, I get emails and I just really, really like to respond to them as soon as possible. I would like to know what's going on. If I have a, a conversation that's ongoing, if I have a problem that someone and I are, are trying to solve, I, I want to know what's going on. I've gotten better in the last few years of being able to t kind of turn that off and shut that down. And so if you have your phone in your pack, then that's something that you have to contend with. So if that's a temptation, then that's a real negative aspect of carrying your phone with you. I would say the other benefit and that has a pro and a con, so there's a benefit and the detriment is pictures. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom how many awesome pictures I would have uh, of fishing and of other th stuff I saw if I had a a camera quality that I have now on my iPhone uh, back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, when I was certainly fishing a whole lot more. All I have from that period of time was disposable camera pictures, which were here and there. And once you hit like, you know, 22 or 23 on that little thing, it was it was over with. Uh, then we got digital cameras, and things started to get a little bit better. But even that, just not the photo quality, not the integrity of, of data as you have with a cell phone. So that is just a phenomenal benefit of being able to take pictures. Now, I'm not advocating you take a picture of every fish you catch. I certainly don't. You get on castingacross.com, you look at the header images for these articles, and there's a lot of pictures of all sorts of stuff that aren't fish because I try not to pull out my phone every time I am trying to get a fish into the net. Uh, every once in a while I do. It's a pretty fish. It's a fish I've been fighting for. It's a it's a big fish. It's a fish in a certain place and all that sort of stuff. So I am happy to to bring my phone with me and take pictures. But I also am not going to take a picture of every fish. 
Now, the detriment of that is, of course, trying to take a picture of every fish. The detriment of that is then what comes of that. Uh, I have gotten much less active in social media lately, and it has nothing to do with other people. It has nothing to do with being frustrated with who's posting what. I just don't have the same kind of interest as I as I used to, even just a couple of years ago. And I'm not really bothered by it. I don't miss it. Actually, kind of liberating to not wonder what has been posted, hasn't been posted. Now, worries are a little bit of a strong word. But I would say that if you have an Instagram account or a Facebook page or a Twitter account and you want to fill it with content, then that is going to flavor the way that you spend your time on the water. It's going to influence the way that you spend your time on the water. You're going to try to do things not simply for the pleasure of doing them, but how you can turn that into a moment that you can capture. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to find a moment you can capture, something that you can save for yourself, something you can share with others. Or if you do have some sort of online presence, whether it be a website like like I have, or even a social media account that you just enjoy sharing with people, then there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it's kind of a chicken egg thing. Like, what's more important, the moment or recording the moment? Okay. On to the next thing. And this is one that I think is incredibly vital for us to realize as anglers in the 21st century. When you wanted to figure out what was happening on a stream, whether it was a local stream or whether it be a stream or a river or a you know ocean that you were traveling to fish, what did you have to do? You went to the local fly shop. And the benefits of going to a local fly shop are legion. You not only get to have a conversation with a real person, you get up-to-the-date information, you are able to procure what you need to accommodate what is being suggested, and you are kind of feeding into the economy, not kind of, you are feeding into the, that, that fly shop's business, the local economy, and you're building connections. You, you get hatch information, you get what fish are biting, you get flow information, you get weather information. I, there's, I, I remember uh, having that, the, the blackboard that we had at the fly shop I worked at and erasing that and writing up the information. Now for us, because we weren't next to a stream, I'd have to call fly shops and ask them what was going on. So we had local fly shops. We'd call them up, and then we would record all the information because uh, we were in an urban setting, and so people would drive up to four or five local streams. And so we'd call up local fly shops, and we would get their information and put it on our boards. But I remember going to, not only doing that myself, but going to other fly shops and seeing that up there and seeing a fly pattern thinking, you know, I've never fished that fly pattern before. I think I'm going to give that a shot. If they're saying it's working, you know, I know I know what it is, but I've never fished it. So I'm, I'm going to give it a try and have a conversation and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like this, it imitates this. And this, this, this miniature education that you receive from walking into a fly shop, figuring out what they're biting, you see four or five things that you anticipated seeing up on the board, and then you see something else and think, huh, that's weird. I, I want to try that. And going from there and having the person walk over to the flies with you and be able to point it out. And and it, it was just a wonderful experience. Totally different than getting on your phone, looking to see what the fish are biting. Totally different. Is it more convenient? Absolutely. Uh, especially these days now that, you know, fly shops might not be as open as long. There might not be as many fly shops. Uh, you want the information at 6 a.m. You don't want to wait until 9 or 10. Uh, you want the information at 8 p.m. You want the information on a Sunday. 
you, you want the information for a place that's in the middle of nowhere, then obviously you're going to use your phone and you're going to use an app, you're going to use a message board or a website or social media to get that information, a fly shop's website. But I think that it is a pale imitation of the benefits that you receive from actually walking into a brick and mortar store. So my encouragement would be to mix and match, you know, do a little bit of both. Uh, as you have opportunity to go into local fly shops and have conversations, do that. Now, again, I'm not giving every fly shop a pass. Uh, even as I was reminiscing there about fly shops that have chalkboards with information on it, I remember one particular one that did not have a chalkboard, that did not have a whiteboard, that didn't publish information. And I remember asking the proprietor, why is that? And he basically said he didn't like people coming in and only buying a couple flies based upon what was on that board. And he, this guy had a lot more issues than just that. Just total grump, total curmudgeon. Maybe something happened to him. I don't know. But uh, to me, that was like, okay, I what if I only need a couple flies? Would you rather me buy them from another shop? I'm not going to buy a fly rod because I've come in here to buy flies. I'm not going to buy, you know, a, a new pair of waders or, or uh, you know, a, a $75 Columbia shirt because I've walked in here to read your whiteboard and buy a handful of, you know, sow bug imitations. Uh, so that, that really, you know, bothered me, especially after being in fly shops where, you know, that was really all they were. They were a big fancy fishing report with just the bare essentials, tippet and strike indicators and flies. And so, uh, I'm, again, I'm not giving a pass to every fly shop and saying that, you know, I, I don't care if they stink. I don't care if they, the guy's got a rotten attitude. I don't care if they're always out of flies. I don't care if their flies are bad. You need to patronize them. That is absolutely not what I'm saying because there are so many good fly shops out there. But I guess what I am saying is, is don't rely on your phone only. Don't rely on hopping online the night before, getting your information uh, only. Uh, the, some of my best memories, and there's probably some confirmation bias here, is going to a fly shop, getting information, taking the information, driving to the stream, and putting it into practice and catching fish. There's something so satisfying about that. It is, it is exponentially more satisfying than uh, sitting in your car before you put your, your waders on as you take your last sips of coffee, reading to see if there's somebody that's posted something on social media sometime in the last 24 hours about how they caught fish in the spot that you're about to fish or upstream or downstream of it, and then walking and doing it. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I have some some winsome connection to fly shops, and so I, I value that entire process. But again, I think the benefits of utilizing the device uh, intermittently, but certainly relying on that relationship, that uh, interaction, that uh, you know, just the entire scene is something that. You, you should make sure it is part of your fishing experience. The last thing that I'll mention when it comes to phones, and this is really technology in general, is, I already alluded to this, just social media and how it can be so detrimental to you. <laughs> you as an angler, but you. Uh, obviously, I use social media. I talk about how I have you know accounts for, for Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook and all sorts of stuff for casting across. Um, I really don't use it much personally, uh, it's really just a, a way for me to post content. And, you know, when I do get a wild hair, interact with other people um, in, in the fly fishing world. But honestly, the, the, the negative energy 
that exists uh, in places like Instagram and Twitter is just, it, it outsizes the positive so frequently. I'm not saying all the time, uh, but so frequently. Uh, it, you know, diminishes your appreciation for your time on the water. Your experience is not going to be the same experience as a 22-year-old that is spending a lot of time on the water, has a couple of brands that they work with, and they have a really fancy camera and somebody that's always with them taking pictures of them fish. Now, if that's your life, fantastic. Go for it. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. That's great. In enjoy it. L live that while it lasts. First of all, it's not sustainable. But for the rest of us, realize that that's not realistic. You're not going to get beautiful pictures of yourself holding big fish with the latest gear. That's just not going to be your experience. You're going to get those blurry pictures of your inside of your hand and the you know the backside of your forearm holding a trout, and, and it's not going to be a really great picture. And you're going to put it up online and it's only going to get a few likes and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If, if you want to share that, then great, share that. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't feel like your experience is anything less than. Uh, don't feel like you need to have some beautifully staged, you know, perfectly lit, catered experience to be able to enjoy your fishing. And or, or, or if you don't come home with a great picture of a fish, there's nothing wrong with that. I have a, I, I have a true belief that getting skunked 20 years ago didn't hurt as much as getting skunked today, especially if, if you have this mentality that you kind of want to put pictures of fish online. Uh, I'm not saying it's ever fun to get skunked, but it, it adds a new dimension to it. And so I would just say, be cautious, be aware. I know that there's been so much written about uh, social media in general and social media in outdoors and fly fishing in particular. So I didn't want to spend too much time on it. I know I've talked about it and written about it before, but I just thought I would throw that in there since this is what we are talking about today on the podcast. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any questions? Do you have any comments? And as always, do you have any accusations about what I've said? Let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com or... If you want to, you can reach out via all the social media platforms. I think I'm at casting across one word in and on every one of them. So let me know. This week on castingacross.com, two good articles, two really good articles in my opinion. The first one was called Throwback Gear Review, Battenkill Large Arbor. Well, actually, it's Throwback Gear Review, Orvis Battenkill Large Arbor. This is an awesome reel. It uh, my, Mine is from probably 2000. I think is when it was, which I think I brought it right when it came out because I was working for an Orva store at that time. And as soon as it came out, I bought one. I bought the two. So that is for a line three to five. It looks nothing like any other bat and kill or or of any flavor. So your traditional bat and kills um, or your contemporary ones. Uh, it is its own unique thing. This is a three spindled reel um, or a th th uh, yeah, I guess those would be spindles, wouldn't they? Um, but it or spokes is probably the better word for it. And it is ultralight. It is not very wide. It is not very big. But this was back when large arbor reels were really starting to come into their own, particularly for trout fishing. Uh, so I think this might have been the very first reel that Orvis made for trout that had a large arbor. Uh, and nowadays, uh, I, I put in the article, nine out of 10 reels have a large arbor. Uh, that's a maybe a gross uh, over-exaggeration, and it may very well be that I was not getting a, a big enough sample size. But from a quick Google search of just fly fishing reels, uh, about eight or nine out of every 10 
uh, or, or a large arbor. So anyway, I write about this reel. It's I still use it. It is still my go-to reel on a couple of my five weights that, that I use because it just bounces really well. Uh, it's still in great shape. Part of the reason for that is because I've taken care of it. I've cleaned it and I have made sure that I've popped open the little drag compartment and gotten gunk out of it when it gets dropped in mud and muck and it's still going strong. And uh, it's a great English made reel. I'd say it's a reel. It's worth picking up if you find one in the secondhand market. Um, so read more about the Orvis Battenkill Large Arbor, my throwback gear review, 20 plus years in the making, uh, at Casting Across this week. Second article was called Celebrate This Fallfish. Celebrate This Fallfish. So a gentleman down in Virginia, um, he caught a three pound, nine ounce, three pound, nine and a half ounce fallfish. It's a huge fallfish. What's a fallfish? A fallfish is one of, if not the largest minnow species here on the East Coast. And if you have fish for trout, you have seen rises, little dimples up and down the stream, and you've gotten excited and you've made cast after cast after cast to them. And either you're not getting them or you're getting takes, but you're not able to set the hook. And then finally you get one and you reel it in and it looks like this giant minnow. And that's a fallfish. The crazy thing is you hook into an eight or a 10 inch one and you think, man, this trout's got some shoulders on it. It's, it's putting a pretty good fight. And because that's what fallfish do, they fight really hard and they're a native species. They do get decent size. There are some streams that in Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania, I fish where I've caught big, you know, 14 inch fallfish and they fight hard in my humble opinion, uh, all things being equal. I can say with certainty that a 14-inch fallfish, 12-inch fallfish, fights harder than a stocked 12-inch trout. Um, maybe not a wild trout, maybe not a 12-inch trout in a big river, but on most of these smaller rivers, uh, they fight just as hard, if not harder. Now, I'm not going to eat one, but to be fair, I'm not going to eat a trout also, uh, not as most of these rivers. So anyway, read about this fish and why I think that fish like this are worth celebrating. This week's recommendation actually is kind of a corollary to that last article. So I didn't find out about this particular fallfish that I wrote about that I mentioned through the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries. I think they changed their name. I think they changed their name. Anyway, there's some other, it's a, it's a Virginia Fish Commission. I didn't find out about this fallfish from their website, but because I buy licenses in Virginia and usually, you know, uh, Maine and Massachusetts and New Hampshire and sometimes Pennsylvania and some other states, New York, uh, I'm on their email lists. Um, and so I get emails from these state agencies and they often have not only advertising, buying licenses, but they give news about what's happened in the state. And the great thing about it is it's, it's diverse. So I've gotten emails before about large fallfish that have been caught, about large snakehead that have been caught, about big musky, about big deer that have been shot, about uh, you know invasive species, about stocking notifications, and I'm able to be happy about it or sad about it. And so these might come across like junk email, but particularly if you are very focused in fly fishing and you're very focused in fly fishing for trout. These are great conduits to learn about the opportunities that might be right around you in your state. So for the states that do them well, and Virginia is one of them, Virginia does it very well, uh, I would say pay attention to them. Um, I know that I've gotten them from North Carolina, I've gotten them from Florida, I've gotten them from Colorado. So other state agencies have these uh, and pay attention to them. And for the states that are out there, do a good job with them. If you want people to take uh, advantage of some of the more opportunities, if you want them to buy this other stamp or this other license or try their hand at doing this other thing, then uh, present those opportunities. So definitely check those out. 
Um, no link to share because there's 50 states and some of these states have a different uh, organization that manages hunting that manages fishing. So I'm not going to share it, but you can, you can find it yourself and uh, hopefully you find some good stuff. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingcross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.